Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. to be with you all and uh, come together. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Jim, for um, leading us through the Lord's Supper time. It's a joy to see, see you all today. It's a joy to see Karen back with us today. Praise God for his mercies. And it's a joy to see the Martins with us today. Welcome. So it's just, it's, it's just a joy to be part of the body of Christ and to come together and um, one of the lines in the song, Wonderful, Merciful Savior, um, talked about uh, our hope when we've lost our way. And, and um, this morning I want to tell a story, actually two stories of two um, uh, uh, young ladies one, um, who have found their way, one in a natural sense and one in a spiritual sense. <clears throat> I don't know if you heard the story, but back in May... Uh, 23-year-old Madeline Conley from River Forest in the suburbs uh, had gone hiking in the wilderness of uh, northwest Montana. And she had planned a short trip, a hike with her dog Moji, and she brought no food or water with her. Uh, She went for a swim in the lake, and she came out, and she got turned around, and she couldn't tell where she was going, and she hiked deeper into the woods. Before long, she was lost and couldn't find her way out. She was not heard from for the next six days as a massive search began for her. At one point, she came across her own tracks and she saw grizzly bear tracks over top of hers. And she's a nature enthusiast and experienced outdoor person, but she got more than she bargained for in this adventure. And this story will have a happy ending as they, this massive search, they, they found her and she did some things that she knew to, to, to help her survive, and, and uh, she was brought back safely home to her family. But she got turned around in the midst of the forest and went in the wrong direction, without a compass, and, and was just lost in, in, in her situation, her circumstance. And spiritually, this can happen to us as well if we lose our bearings. If we lose sight of the gospel, we can get turned around and move further away from God's path. And at KBC, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the message that binds us, and it's the message that drives us. It's the core of who we are and our compass for what we do. Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is fixed in the heavens. The word of God, the gospel, transcends time, it transcends space and all circumstances. So it's the one thing that we need to grab onto individually and collectively And we need to strive together to keep it at the center of who we are and what we do. And that's why we are titling our summer series, Following Jesus. And I'm going to share a testimony of another young girl, but I'd like to pray first. Father, we thank you and praise you for this time together. And uh, we think of uh, Madeline Conley's story of being lost in the woods. And such a picture that is of us being lost uh, in the wilderness of this world, apart from you and without a compass, but Jesus Christ, your son, came into the world to die for us and rise again for us and redeem us and draw us back to you, Father. We thank you, and it's a joy that we can gather together as a body and, and, and talk about these things together and remember the Lord's death for us. 
And Father, thank you for the gospel. And may today, would you speak by your spirit, through your word, and help us, Lord, as a body of Christ, to more and more strive together for the faith of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. So the other story has to do with VBS. And um, Dawn received a Facebook message. I think some others had, had uh, gotten a message from a, a mom who goes to a different church but wanted her daughter to be part of our VBS. And she related that <clears throat> her daughter would come home at the end of the day and they would have these amazing discussions about what she had learned at VBS that day. And as the week went on, it became clear that her understanding of the gospel was growing. And, and at the end of the week, she indicated to her mom that she wanted to follow Jesus. And she prayed to put her faith in the Lord and Savior. And she was so excited, she wanted to mark the day on the calendar so she could remember. So this is a picture of what's important. It's taking the gospel to those around us. That little girl's life has changed for eternity. And it's because KBC, by the grace of God, came together, everybody doing their part, loving each other, putting this thing together, and then sharing the gospel of Christ with these children. And who knows where that's going to go with that girl. We know it's going to be good. I was just uh, reading in Isaiah this morning. I want to read that. Isaiah 59, 20 and 21 says, And a Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob, who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of the, your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. Isn't that amazing? So this is what is eternal. And this is what we need to put in the center of all of our hearts individually and collectively. So I'm going to ask you, uh, last week also, we, in your bulletins you'll find an insert, and if you would pull that out, I just want to catch us up, if you weren't here last week, but just to review briefly. As we mentioned, it, it, part of the um, introspection process that we talked about, um, we had these different uh, uh, job aspects that we, that we saw that we needed in a preacher, and we just felt as a leadership team that as a body, this is what we want to bring in for somebody to shepherd us. Those are the characteristics, and that all of us should strive for those things. And so the summer series uh, is about following Jesus, dot, dot, dot. And this first two weeks is practically and relationally. How do we do that together? So if you'll open up your bulletin, on the front there's a circle with a cross in the center of it, and four words, word, prayer, live, and speak. And last week, and we're working out of Matthew chapter 16, we talked about the message of mission embraced. The cross is in the center. The cross is the message that we never get away from. The gospel is the means by which we are saved and it is the means as we remind each other day by day and remind ourselves that Jesus died for us. That's why we take the Lord's Supper as one of the things that we do to remember the cross. And we need to embrace that. And we talked about that, that, that the message is the gospel and the mission from Matthew 16 is Jesus is building his church and he's, given, he's using us, his body, to do that. And then we talked about the fact that immediately 
Jesus talked about the fact that Satan opposes this, and immediately after that, after Peter makes this amazing confession of faith, he said, Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again, and, and Peter says, oh, no, 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 you're not going to do that. That's not the way it's going to go. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, for you are thinking of the things of man and not the things of God, and that's the essential problem that we have as human beings in our fallenness. We think about us, we think about man, rather than God. God's way is the gospel. Anything else is the way of man. And so we need to refresh our minds of that daily. And then we talked about message and mission mindset. It's in the mind, what we think about, and we need to be transformed. And so we talked about the need for consistent time, each of us with Jesus, opening up the word and prayer. So we have the word and prayer. And then as we do that, the word transforms us. And then that would bring us to today, the live and the speak, and then our final point, the message and mission movement, where Jesus is going to call us now. It's not just a matter of, I'm going to pray this prayer and then go my own way. Jesus is saying, receive me and follow me. And the statement there is, with our mindset shaped by the message and mission of Jesus, through time spent in the word and prayer, we are empowered to participate in this movement in the church and in the world as we live and speak the message of Jesus to those in our sphere of influence. And so, uh, and one last thing on the other side of the page, we kind of give you some practical things about developing a, your sphere of influence. You already have a sphere of influence, but charting out who do you see throughout your week, your family, your extended family, all of us around here, um, those that you come in contact with the community, and and jotting their names down and beginning to take them when you come before the Lord as part of your time is just praying for those folks and then opening the word and just asking God to search your heart and to reach out in love to those folks. So that kind of brings us up to speed with where we're at today. And so I want to say this, first of all, that I really believe as a body we do serve together well. We love each other well. I think it's evident when... when Hard things happen, how the body uh, rallies around itself, how we rally around each other. Meals are called for. Uh, people are prayed for. You know, it's, it, and so we do this well. But Paul told the Thessalonians, he said, you're loving each other, you're doing a good job. He said, but excel still more. Okay, so that's what this is about. It's not about, we're doing it wrong. We're doing it well, but we need to keep doing it well. And we need to keep the core of the gospel so that we can keep doing it well. So, if you will, open your Bibles to Matthew 16, verses 24, and 28, 24 to 28. Jesus says that then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So he says, then 
Jesus told his disciples. So what happened right before the then? In verses 13 through 23, we just had mentioned that Jesus had asked them this question, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And we, we talked last week about the impact of that question, asking that of ourselves throughout our day. Who do you say that Jesus is in this moment? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, yes, you've got it right. And my Father, you have not, re- that flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So we see that this is spiritually discerned. And then Jesus said he was going to go to the cross and die. So who is Jesus? He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the Son of the living God. He's the one who died for us and rose again. So that when we come to our day and we're in the middle of a hard day and things aren't going the way we think they should go, we can say, who do I say that Jesus is right now? Is he the Christ? Is he the Son of the living God? Is he the King of the universe? He's the king of the universe, and he can certainly handle my moment that I'm in right now. And we can seek to, to, to walk in, in the, that moment of that, that uh, resting in Christ and reaching out. He's the one that not only, not only is he the king of the universe, but the king of the universe came down to earth and died for me. I think sometimes what it would have been like for the disciples to just see Jesus on the cross... I'm not sure if you've thought about that. Maybe we don't think about it enough, but what would it be like to actually sit and physically see what he went through for us? And I think as we open the word, we can. Zechariah 12.10 says that he will pour out on the house of David the spirit of grace and supplication that they may look upon me whom they have pierced. So as we open the word, and we read it, and we read about what Christ suffered for us. They pierced my hands and my feet. They beat him with whips. They put a crown of thorn on his head, and then they put him on a cross and nailed his hands and his feet. We are loved. We can take comfort in that. When we think about that, we can see the love of Christ, and it has to change us. Then, Jesus made two powerful I will statements. He said, on this confession of who, what you just said, Peter, and on who I am, I'm going to build my church. I will build my church. So that, the gospel is what Jesus builds his church. And the building of the church is bringing the lost in and building the believers up. The message of the gospel, as we said, is the message that saves us and it's the message that sanctifies us or causes us to grow in maturity. And so that's why we need to continually remind ourselves of it individually and collectively as we share it together. And then he said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Keys to the kingdom being the gospel that each of us has the power of this message to share with one another and share with those in our sphere of influence. So as we share this, God uses that message to change lives. Just like he used the gospel message and several people working together in VBS this week to change the lives of that eight or nine-year-old girl. Now, we also saw from last week, as we mentioned, that Satan opposes this message because it's the message that out of his kingdom and puts those in Christ's kingdom. 
and he's been opposing God from the beginning of time. We see this in the statement, Jesus' statement, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And we see this in how he influenced Peter to try and dissuade Jesus from going to the cross. So essentially, we see the gospel is the way of God, and anything else is from the way of man, and Satan feeds into anything that's the way of man. So in light of this, Jesus calls for a radical commitment for those who will profess faith in him. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And this defines the nature of of saving faith. To deny oneself and to cast one's life completely on Jesus. This involves trusting him alone for salvation and for a life of dependent following him. And we've we've talked about this. To die to ourselves and follow Jesus is not a one-time thing where, oh, now we're perfect at it. We come to Christ by faith. God renews us. He, He changes us in that moment. But then it becomes a lifetime of following him. And we have the Holy Spirit of God now dwelling in us that enables us to do that. But it's a, it's a change of, of direction. We're going our own way, following our own way. The gospel says stop, repent, and believe. And we turn and we go the other way to follow Jesus. And again, from last week, we talked about that, that the disciples didn't do this perfectly either. And I, I, I love that God shows the, the weaknesses and the the um, fallenness of the disciples because that can bring us comfort because we know that we are not perfect at this either. It's not natural to do it. Well, actually, it's, it's natural to go our own way. That's our fallenness. <clears throat> Everything in our fallen human nature says, me, me, me. And this is the way of God and not the way of... This, the way of God is to follow Christ And Satan opposes this and seeks to keep us from this mindset. But it's not an option for us. We have to deny ourselves and follow Jesus. The ESV study Bible says this about taking up our cross and following Jesus. It says, crucifixion is a shocking metaphor for discipleship. A disciple must himself die to self-will, take up his cross, embrace God's will, no matter the cost, and follow Christ. And that's what we're talking about, embracing the gospel, renewing our mind in it, and then stepping out in that and being empowered in that. So to follow Jesus practically and relationally, we must be willing to lay down our own agendas and pursue Christ's agendas, his message and his mission. And so the proclamation of the gospel and the building of the church, are the, are the, are the, they go hand in hand, you can't separate them, and this is what we as a local body part of Christ's universal church, we need to be doing this by God's grace together. Paul told the Philippians this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. See that picture? You're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind set on the gospel, arms locked together, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Striving, it's, it's, it's not easy, but it's for the faith of the gospel. And it comes from each of us 
laying down our own way and following Christ. And this is what we are called to, and it takes each of us working together to do it by the grace of God. Through the gifts and talents God has given us to carry it out. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be gl- belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So you see a well-oiled machine working together. And we don't always work together as a well-oiled machine. We all have our, our, our flesh that we have to deal with. But in love, we encourage one another, and we speak the Word of God together, and we live it out together. Each of us has an indispensable role to play in the building of Christ's church. We each have been given the keys of the kingdom. The gospel to live out in love and to speak to one another for our building up. And we each need to embrace this message and mission as our own and spend time with Jesus developing this mindset through a consistent time in the Word and prayer to allow this message to transform us and to shape our lives so that we can be empowered to participate in the message and mission movement. There's a passage in the book of Galatians that, that uh, really speaks to this as well. It's one of my favorite verses. It's Galatians 2.20. And Galatians is all about the gospel of grace. And Paul uh, was very adamant that he said, if anybody is proclaiming to you any other gospel, let them be accursed. And he says that the, that it is, the gospel of grace is the gospel of Jesus. We can do nothing to earn our salvation. It's all by grace alone through faith alone. And yet in that book, he talks about uh, freedom. And Jim had mentioned earlier about our freedoms in Christ. And freedom is not my freedom to do what I want to do. My freedom is in that I'm actually set free from my self-will to actually serve the king and follow him. He talks about uh, faith working through love. The expression of our, our, our faith is love. But he said, Paul says this, Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. That happens at the moment of salvation. God unites us with Christ by his Holy Spirit. But he says it's no longer I who live, no longer my, my selfish flesh that's in control, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, and the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's specifically talking about the love of the gospel. He says he loved me at the cross, and he gave himself for me. So we see that this, even the ability to do this, to turn from our own way and to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus, only comes through the Spirit of God. But we, we, by faith, we follow Jesus. So by the grace of the Spirit of God, through faith, we are united with Christ in his crucifixion at the moment of salvation, and then we begin this day-by-day journey 
of dying to ourselves and following Jesus. It is his life in us, the Holy Spirit, by which we are enabled. But Paul reminds himself of the gospel in that verse. And Paul, uh, who would be considered the greatest leader of the early church and you know, wrote more Bible, uh, books of the New Testament than anybody else, that God used him, and yet he comes back to the simple message that Christ loved me and gave himself for me. And that's how we live. So back to Matthew 16, we'll see that the futility of holding on to our own lives and pursuing our own agenda and the eternal reward for giving it all up to follow Jesus. He says in verse 25, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Two weeks ago, Jesse spoke from Colossians 1, 15 to 20, about how man pursues his own kingdom, and he tries to hold on to it with everything he has, and he defends it. But it only ends in tears. And he finds that he has no rights to it, and it crumbles. And we see that here. Jesus says, what profit is there if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Jesus is the rightful king of the universe, the firstborn of creation, the firstborn from the dead, and he gave up his rights. If anybody deserves to say it's mine, it's him, and it is, but he laid it down so he could reconcile us and bring us into his kingdom. Matthew tells us it is futile, futile to pursue our own kingdom. But there is eternal reward in pursuing Jesus. He is worthy and he is worth it. This is the heart of Jim Elliott's famous quote. Jim Elliott was one of the five missionaries who gave their lives um, in Ecuador in the 1950s that God has used to inspire many missionaries, thousands of missionaries since then. He says he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jesus is worth it. And then in verse 28, he says this, and this is a a prelude to the second coming of Christ. He says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And then the next passage is going to be the transfiguration where Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain and transfigured himself before them and Moses and Elijah appeared with them and they saw the second coming glory of Christ. They got to see the trailer of the greatest movie ever and we get to see it as we open the word of God together. But listen to to Peter's words in 1 Peter. I'm going to read almost all of of chapter 5 of 1 Peter because I think it's, I love to take a passage of scripture that comments on another passage, especially when the character is the same. So Peter's right there when this is going on. And so he saw Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus' resurrection, and Jesus' second coming glory. He says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, so he saw Christ suffer, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. I saw him coming again. 
Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Jesus is worth it. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Watch this verse. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Think he learned that by experience? He did. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then verse 12, in the parting words, he says, this is the true grace of God. Stand in it. So he says it's all about God's grace. We stand in it. We're going to follow Jesus together. Peter says, I've seen the crucifixion, I've seen the resurrection, and I've seen Jesus coming again in glory. And if he were here today, and he is through the the word of God, he says, KBC, Jesus is worth it. Walk in his grace with one another. So as we wind down, I wanted to leave a little bit of time just for some practical suggestions and um, And coming back to our bulletin again, we're coming to the live and the speak. The speaking of the word of God, and again, Jesse had mentioned this before, that God spoke the word into existence, and then through this word now he recreates. As this word goes forward, the Bible says that we are recreated in the image of God. And so the way that we come to faith in Christ is through the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the message of Christ. So as we speak it, it saves, God uses it to save souls, and as we said, he uses it to build us up. So it's important for us to live it out together, love each other. God, the two greatest commandments Jesus said are to love God and love your neighbor. So the gospel as it comes and changes us, changes our hearts and enables us to love one another. But we see again that it's not easy because we have our flesh. It's not easy because right off the bat we see from this passage that Satan opposes it. So I wanted to consider, first of all, from a defensive standpoint, what are some of the tactics that Satan uses against us to, to keep us from this? And today happens to be the anniversary, this three days of the, the Battle of Gettysburg. Jim and I were talking about this, this before. Um, the, the, the southern troops, led by Robert E. Lee, had invaded the north. They had been winning almost all the battles. The war was definitely going in their favor. 
And they, they, they decided if we can go into the north and crush them, that would be the end of the war, and we'll have our nation, and we'll have our freedom. <clears throat> so they had invaded the north, and, and uh, the north was looking for them. Back in that day, you didn't have uh, satellites and all that kind of thing. So the cavalry was very important. They would send the cavalry out to look and find the enemy. So John Buford, who was the, the lead of the, the uh, general of the cavalry, went out looking for them and came to the city of Gettysburg, and they spotted the southern troops. And he took, surveyed the, the area, the land, <clears throat> and he saw that south of Gettysburg there were hills. It was high ground. And he decided right then that unless we get that high ground, we're going to lose this battle. And he was outnumbered. I, I forget the numbers exactly, but I think they estimated at that time there were about twenty to 30,000 Confederate troops and maybe 2,000 Union troops at that time right there. So he sent messengers back to the, to the um, uh, head of the, the Union troops to tell them to come to Gettysburg, and he decided we've got to make a stand right here, and we've got to hold that high ground till the, till the rest of the troops get here. If we don't, we're going to lose. And so that's what they did, and that was the first day of the battle, and it was uh, horrible fighting. But they held their ground. And they actually, the, the Union troops, would, they would say, lost that day of the battle, but they delayed it long enough for the rest of the Union troops to get there and to get on the high ground. And then the next two days of the battle, the Confederates kept coming against them on different parts of that high ground, and they could not defeat them. So it's about the high ground. And I, I think of 2 Corinthians 10, says this, <clears throat> for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought, there's the thought again, captive to obey Christ. It's in the mind that we say it's the gospel. So the Union troops held the high ground. They defeated the Confederates. And that battle, and as Jim mentioned to me this morning, the Battle of Vicksburg, which took place at the same time, was the total turning of the war. If they had not won, our, our country's history would be different. And obviously God is sovereign over history, but that's what he used at that time to preserve the Union. But the high ground for us is the gospel. And all of us, each of us individually and collectively saying, this is what we stand for, this is what drives us, this is what drives us to love one another. So how does Satan try and infiltrate that? Well, one, one thing right from the passage is he tries to get us to think fleshly thoughts rather than godly thoughts. Okay, the things of man, not the things of God. <clears throat> he seeks to, and, and how does he do that? He gets our minds off. He gets our minds off the gospel. And even as believers in Christ, we can have seasons of life where we can neglect the word. And again, it's all about grace. I don't say that to say, "What's the matter with you?" or "What's the matter with me?" It's like we got to get, we got to stay in the Word of God because it's a constant reminder. And one of the reasons that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper was in remembrance. 
Jim mentioned it. We remember that Jesus died. Why do we have to remember it? Because we're forgetful people. Even as believers in Christ, we forget the main things. We forget the gospel. We need to remind ourselves of it. In John 17, Jesus says that the same love and the same unity that exists in the Godhead between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit also exists in the church. It's in us already. But we're not perfect at it. We have to fight for it. Paul told the Ephesians to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So that's God's way. Satan's way is to divide. Satan's way is to get us to bicker with one another. He would rather have us worry about, uh, I don't want to say inconsequential things, but, but preferences rather than the gospel. Um, I thought about this illustration, a Bears-Packers illustration. We have so many Packers fans, right? And many Bears fans. So as Bears and Packers fans... We can get together and watch a game together, a Bears-Packers game, and cheer together and have a meal together and love each other, and that's awesome, right? That's good. We have preferences. We have differences. But if we start, I don't like you because you're a Packers fan, or I don't like you because you're a Bears fan, that becomes sin, right? So we can have differences, and God's made us unique. He's made us different, but he's also united us together in the gospel. He tempts us to doubt God's word and character. That was the very first thing that he did with Eve in Genesis 3. Has God really said, did God really say to not eat from that? Oh, God didn't really say that. In fact, God, God's a liar, and he doesn't want you to, to take from that. He's jealous because if you eat that, you're going to be just like him. So he, he starts very subtly. Did God really say that? Don't open your Bible. Does God really want you to be in his word every day? 2 Corinthians 11, Paul warned them. He says, I would bear with you with a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy over you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray. Again, the thoughts, it's what we think. Your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. None of us are immune to this. He would go on in that chapter to talk about false teachers that would cause confusion and lead people astray. So we need to guard the gospel. If someone starts to preach any other gospel than Jesus, we need to stand up against that in love. That's why, again, we need to keep reminding ourselves of it so we keep knowing what the truth is. So when we hear something that's not truth, we can point it out. We know. In our relationships, he would seek to separate us. Again, we talked about division. That was a whole problem, in the, uh, one of the problems in the Corinthian church. Another one, 2 Corinthians 2. I just want to read this. Uh, Paul says, there was somebody that had sinned uh, we don't know if, if this specific incident is talking about the person in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 who had committed a horrible, immoral sin. It might have been that one. It might have been something else. But he says, 
If anyone has caused pain, he has caused it, not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So whoever it was and whatever they had done, the church had brought on the discipline that they were supposed to, but they weren't letting up. He says, so that you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. And anyone among whom I forgive, you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Now watch this verse. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Satan's design is for us to not forgive each other when we sin against each other. So when we go along with that, we are agreeing with Satan rather than God. I think about 1 John 2, where he says that <clears throat> Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, the satisfying sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the whole world. For our sins. Our sins. So that when we have a conflict with one another that may actually have sin involved. We need to remember that Jesus, just as he died for my sin, he died for your sin. And we need to be willing to forgive that person because not because they get it right or finally come around to thinking the way I want them to, but because Jesus is a propitiation for their sins as well. <clears throat> So, as we think about that as defensive, then we may think offensive. Living and speaking the gospel with one another and to one another. And that again, comes back to the bulletin, to live and speak the way God advances the gospel is through speaking it and living it. I think about in 1 Peter, he was speaking to wives who had husbands who weren't believers and he told them to to you know, live out the gospel to them, basically, I'm paraphrasing, so that they may be one without a word. So it's the testimony of our life also speaks the gospel. And then in chapter 3, though, he would say, always be ready to make a defense for the hope that is in you. So as we live the gospel, people see the difference, and then God will open the door. And sometimes it might be just us meeting a person for the first time. Maybe we just show them an act of love. That may be the only time we ever see them again, but we did something for the gospel for them. Each of us has a role to play. One plants, one waters, but it's God's gospel and God who gives the increase. And one of the things that um, <clears throat> the introspection revealed, one of the desires that we have as a body is to have more authentic relationships with one another. And that means being vulnerable and transparent with one another. It means being able to share our hearts and being able to share it knowing that if I share something deep with, with somebody, they're going to hear it with an ear of the gospel and to walk with one another like that. So it's important that we be able to share with each other our struggles and pray for one another. It's important that, we be, that we're good listeners and when we hear something, to not be judgmental, which, our, again, our flesh can do that. 
and to seek to make the gospel the central thing in all of our relationships. Yes, talk about general things. Uh, the weather, sports, I love to talk about all those things. But we need to remember that it's all about Christ. And so let's keep Christ as a constant source of encouragement and conversation. Sometimes even in coming to church together, it's easy to come in and, and to sing and to, to hear the word and then to leave. But maybe sometimes coming and having a verse that's on your heart and just sharing it with somebody. Hey, I thought about this verse this week. Or, or uh, again, maybe through your time in the Word that week and your sphere of influence, somebody in this body was on your heart, just tell them, you know what, I thought about you this week and I prayed for you and how you doing? How's it going? How was your week? Maybe it means getting together with somebody outside of church just to, to pray or just to hang out, read the Bible together. Maybe writing a gospel encouraging note to somebody or an email or a text or even a phone call, which is more rare these days. But just asking, being able to ask each other, how was your week this week? And, and not just in a general sense, but really, how, how are you doing? And maybe seeking out, and again, I think we all can gravitate to this. I know I have, and you know, there's people in the body that we know better than others, and that's normal and natural. That was true of Jesus' day. You know, he had the 12 disciples, and then he had the three, that he, Peter, James, and John, that were kind of the ones that were more prominent, but seeking out those in our body that maybe we haven't hung out with together as much and just trying to bridge gaps just to be together and love on each other and just thinking, how can I be more intentional with the gospel at church? And inevitably, <clears throat> there's going to be conflict. We, put, we think about marriage, you put two sinners together, Fall, two fallen sinners together, even in Christ, there's going to be things that have to be worked through. So you put a bunch of sinners together in one setting, there's going to be conflict because we all have fallen flesh. Only by the Spirit, only through the Gospel can we overcome that. And I would encourage you to read James chapter 4 because it really looks at the source of conflict. And, and they were really at each other's throats. And I'm not saying we're that, but God put that word there for a reason, obviously. But the source, he says, that you're fighting and you're bickering. And why? Because you don't have and you want. And it's the flesh. We need to remind ourselves. And again, but we see Satan behind it. He says, submit to God and resist the devil. So the devil's behind it. He's urging us on to pursue our flesh. And then he says, as you do that, you submit to God, resist the devil, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So grace flows through us as we are allowing the gospel to, to change our relationships. And we see why Jesus would say, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And it all starts, as I wind it up here, um, in the center, the cross, each of us embracing the message and the mission of the cross of Christ and then really sitting down with Jesus, spending time with him. And the more we spend time with him in the word and prayer, that word and that prayer and that time with him transforms who we are and it becomes less and less of us that flows out and more and more of Jesus and then God is glorified.
Why don't we pray? Abba, Father, two amazing words that each of us in Christ are able to cry out because Jesus died for us, Jesus rose again for us, and Jesus sent his spirit, your spirit, into us, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We are your children, and you are our daddy. We are brothers and sisters and we want to follow Jesus together. We want to love you, and we want to love each other. We want that love to go out into this community that would say something is different about that church. And we want to be able to say it's Jesus. We want to see more and more people turning from their own way placing their faith and trust in you, Jesus, and following you. We want to be centered on your message, the gospel, and your mission, the building of your church. We give you all the glory and honor and praise. In your holy name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.